Walmart was recently named one of LinkedIn's top companies to grow a career in 2022. About 75% of management started as hourly associates, and over 135,000 associates were promoted last year. At Walmart, there's a path for everyone. Learn more at walmart.com slash spark. That's walmart.com slash spark. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Around the Coin. Today's guest is Kirill Gertman, the co-founder of Conduit. Kirill is an immigrant to the U.S. He grew up, or at least was born, in uh, USSR, uh, Soviet Russia. And we talked about his personal journey and how that shaped the way that he views the world and at least the financial world. Uh, Kirill has a background in blockchain and fintech more broadly, and he had been solving the same problem over and over again, which is to help companies that he was working for integrate with the existing rails, financial rails that were out there. Uh, And then a few years ago, he spun off this business conduit, raised $17 million to build the infrastructure tools so that other companies can plug into an API and effectively launch faster uh, on top of the crypto rails. So we dove into the details of how the API how the, how the crypto landscape is currently structured, what the problems are and opportunities are, uh, and talked a lot about his personal life. I, I really enjoy the conversation, and I hope you do. Here is Kirill Gerben. All right, Kirill, we're live recording. Thanks for hopping on today. I'm excited to chat with you. Um, where to start? So I was thinking about this, uh, and I'm, I want to start with your background a little bit. I know you uh, had moved around a bit, coming from Ukraine, which is now in the hot seat in the world forum. Um, in your journey, moving from previous USSR, Canada, all around Israel, I know for for a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how was that experience generally? Maybe specifically, did it did it shape your view about maybe simplistically optimistic or pessimistic about the general direction of today's world, having gone through everything you're you've been through? Yeah. So it, it, that's you know what, Mike. That's an interesting question. People don't usually kind of ask me that right off the bat, which I actually appreciate. It's an interesting question right away. So. Um, I guess one thing that I should say is that, you know, I mean, it's my experience. And so I don't, it shaped me the way I am, but I can't see, I can't see it externally. You know what I mean? I can't say if it was good for me or bad for me. I just know what I've been through and, you know, that's, that's what it is for me. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, this was normal for other people. It may, may, may not be. Um, but in any case, I think generally my opinion about the world I would say realistic. I try to be realistic with maybe a somewhat slight hint of, of optimism, actually. And people take this actually as, as pessimism, right? If I'm trying to be realistic, they think, oh, you know, maybe you're too grounded or too practical or whatnot. But no, I try to be real. And then I try to be a little bit 
a little bit optimistic about these things. Like I'll, um, I'll give you an example, actually, since you asked about my background, right? So yes, I was born in the USSR and I was there when it basically fell apart, right? And, um, you know, at the time, you know, there was basically a complete breakdown of, you know, civil order, you know, like cops wouldn't get salaries. And then we'll ha- imagine what happens if policemen don't get paid for six months, right? And Or mm-hmm. firemen or whatever, right? That's in, um, and, and things were quite bad, but, you know, they didn't necessarily descend into complete, like, war and chaos in, this, in the way that maybe happened in the past, right? Now, having said that, obviously today there is war in that same place where I was born, right? So I was born in Kharkov, Ukraine. So, and I hope it, it does end soon, although the realistic side of me thinks it probably won't. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to say is there was potential for, you know, an even larger and even worse conflict and even worse case state of chaos at that moment right back in like 89 90 91 and and it was definitely a hard time but you know didn't devolve into into total uh destruction of society essentially um the way that you know things have happened in the past and we are seeing a conflict there now and it is terrible um but i think Mm. it could have been even worse and we avoided that so that was probably a good thing Mm. Yeah, I used to be more, I used to have the mindset more that the internet would allow people to carry the lessons of history more effectively throughout. And and I think that is true to some extent, speaking personally, anecdotally, I watch YouTube about wars of the past, about psychology from psychology professors that I would never have had access to. And so trying to to create this mental model of what has happened in the past, where are we currently today with respect to our social climate and uh, tensions and what, what games are being played today. So I think the the nuance and complexities and certainly the number of people participating in the, uh, in the conversation is increased. Do, but I, but I, sometimes I think there, there tends to be this pattern of, uh, intervention for good ends up being bad. And what I mean by that is Mm. if you look at just about every, uh, the vast majority, I'll say, of interventions governmentally, uh, they tend to have a straightforward approach. Like we're going to uh, create a student loan program and the government's going to give out 0% interest loans to people so they can go to college. Fantastic. Sounds great. But the reality is that people accumulated massive amounts of debt because that was the standard because you had to in order to compete with other people who had access to free money. And now we're debating what we do with all the student loan debts that's dragging people down. And those are the kinds of things that I'm seeing as I get older uh, all over the place. And I think it's there's this quote that I took and I'll I'll let you respond to about it. It's I think it's from. I think it's from Abraham Lincoln. I could be wrong on that, but it's like, it's really easy to change the world, but it's really hard to change the world for the better. And the, the, mm. effectively the vast majority of changes uh, are, aren't for the better. And and I, I, I think about that as it relates to crypto certainly playing a major role in the potential for how human beings can cooperate. And I think we're at a point now where I, I like to ask people if they, especially when you've seen and lived through multiple governmental structures and multiple like political ideologies, if there are um, ways that you view crypto as potentially being a useful 
conduit, <laughs> conduit, a useful uh, structure through which uh, we can more effectively govern ourselves. And I'll throw that back at you. Respond whatever comes through for you. Yeah, that's a big one to unpack right there. You know, what I mean, that's 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 a whole conversation just just around that question. But honestly, so I think the short answer is yes, but maybe not exactly in the way that people think. So what I mean by that is. You know, when people think about crypto improving society, especially people who are already in crypto, they usually tend to think about DAOs, right? And like decentralized decision making and these sort of things. And actually, I'm I'm pretty skeptical on this on this type of thing, right? I actually don't necessarily believe that you know if you invite as many people as possible and you give them some sort of vote that they're going to arrive to the best decision at the moment, right? Um, I think it may actually slow things down and right you you can't move as quickly if you're if you're running it down if you need to reach some sort of consensus. Um so I'm not sure if that's that's going to play out for the better but I do believe that crypto essentially what what I think we need is not necessarily much better government structure not because we have a good one but I don't it, but actually because I don't think there's a much better one. You know what I mean like uh what I do think we need is actually alternatives or maybe in some sense protections against, as you said, government stupidity, essentially, right? Um, and so a couple of examples that actually immediately come to mind that are possible with crypto, right? If, you, if you're a refugee, if you have to escape your country, right? And, you know, again, right now, right, in Ukraine, there's a war or in, in Africa or whatever else you are, there are all kinds of conflicts going on. You, generally speaking, will not be able to like go to your bank, in most cases, empty your bank account and just take it across the border somewhere else. It's just not going to work. Um, Bitcoin just works fine, right? Perfectly fine. And so you don't even need to have anything. You theoretically, most people never do, but theoretically you could memorize you know, your seed phrase, the 12 words, and just with those 12 words in your head, you can cross the border and get to the next, you know, Bitcoin ATM, whatever, um, right? And then so have something that you can carry with you. And it's a sort of a protection, right? It's a sort of a protection. Um, obviously, the other thing that people are talking about a lot is, you know, hedge against inflation. And as we've seen lately, that didn't quite play out in the way that we would have all liked, I'm sure, right? So Bitcoin price went down just just as everything else did. So it's not actually uncorrelated. But I'm actually on that on that on that one I'm actually pretty optimistic because I think over time it will be. And I also think, you know, sure, you know, it went down from the all-time high, right? And you know, down to 20k or whatever the price is. But, you know, everything did. And if you think that Bitcoin has no value, it should have gone to zero, right? And it actually just kind of you know went basically in the same in the same direction that everything else. And so that to me is the first step, right? You just like you can't get all the way there immediately to being decoupled and decorrelated. But at least I think the fact that you know it's still there, it's not going to zero. It actually does have a really positive indication that people actually do think there's value there, right? There's real value there, and maybe the value was inflated just like everything else was, right? But it didn't collapse. It still it still works fine, right? And so to me, that's actually a very positive thing. And I think you need more of these things, right? Things that, that are decentralized, but not necessarily in the decision-making, but just in, in terms of giving like individuals, giving people and companies tools that they can use, um, not, you know, not even escape control, right? But just 
just have more options, essentially, right? Um, do I want to have a cross-border payment through Western Union, which is super expensive and really slow? Do I want to send, you know, like stablecoin, uh, which is quick and cheap? So that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, it certainly doesn't take many experiences for individuals to go from a mindset of trusting in centralized organizations to having a almost repulsive uh, disdain for centralization if there's an alternative that's decentralized and trustworthy. So I, I think, to your point, I, I agree with you. I think that while Bitcoin and the USD and the stock exchange are relatively correlated today, it's only because, if I were to guess, a majority of the money in Bitcoin today is still owned by people who have relatively liquid options into the equities markets and into other options. Whereas like, if you didn't, if for instance, you know, you had a centralized exchange shut down that, and you had your money in Bitcoin, then the the price would go the other way because your assets would move into that, that, uh, into Bitcoin, into the decentralized option, given that you're in a time of low trust. And I think that if if anything, I, I think about it as uh, trust relative to trust in institutions relative to price would be inversely related. So you know, it, as the world kind of gets more chaotic, as trust in institutions change, as political structures change, it, it would seem to me that crypto and Bitcoin in particular just are going to become more important to the social structure and wealth preservation. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, we see people, it's like we see people doing this today all the time, right? There's a lot of, uh, you know, for example, in Asia, right? And when people want to move funds, move move money around, for example, you know, in certain cases, folks want to get funds out of China. They use Tether, right? I live mm-hmm. in most cases. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we see this again in Ukraine and in Russia where there's a huge amount of crypto that's being used, right? Again, not... Not for anything fancy, right? Not for anything esoteric. It's not even about inflation. It's just like, can I get my assets out of here and somewhere else because I don't trust that the bank will keep them safe for me or that I can't even get them out of the bank at all, right? So that that's 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 there. And I think, you know, maybe just a kind of more broad general comment that, that come to mind when, when you mentioned sort of government decisions is that, you know, right now, a lot of people are saying that the world is, is you know, going crazy and, and whatnot. And yes, in certain cases it is. But I actually think the world today, right now, is more sane than it was, let's say, two years ago. Again, maybe war in Ukraine aside and, you know, some of these conflicts aside. But for us here in the U.S., in most of the West, the markets are doing what they should have been doing two years ago, honestly, right? And we, again, just just like you said, same, same idea of in, maybe intended, maybe unintended consequences, just like with student loans, we printed a bunch of money to stave it off, right? To essentially postpone the inevitable. And now it's it's here and it's actually worse because we tried to delay it by, you know, printing fiat and, and causing actually a worse situation than, you know, than would have happened if we just let it play out. Um, and so that's, that's not great. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like that, 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 those, those decisions are not great. And is crypto going to help you against that to some extent, right? To some extent. I think, I think it will. I think more and more over time, just like you said, people will, uh, will move into assets that, you know, you can't block, right? You can't print more Bitcoin as a central bank or whatever it is. Um, and I think there's going to be attractiveness to that, even, yeah. even aside from the price itself. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. The, it's really product market fit, price aside, is what is attractive to people on a base, simple layer, to your point. It doesn't need to be as we, the deeper you get into crypto, the more you see the potential splintering of, of optionality or product features you can build. But I think that is a just a, a stereotypical trap of any founder or product team where you just or engineering team, you get into it and you just you build for the sake of building science projects. And, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, oh, we're going to build it and then people are going to come and then you just keep building and building and building, spending more and more money. And then people just kind of don't quite come as quickly as you thought they would. And so there's like a a, a recessionary period, which I th- that's my narrative. My, that's my overarching narrative of why we're in the period that we're in, which makes sense. You know, it's hard. I mean, yeah, I, I think I, I think so. And I think right now what we're what we will see a lot of, and this is like, you know, this is what I believe we're doing. But you know, what we're gonna see is that a lot of uh, a lot of people who came into this space, especially the crypto space, you know, just by and, w- and wanted to get rich quick, essentially, mm. <laughs> right? Uh, they got they got a bit burned. Not all of them, actually. Some of them came out great, right? But but there there is a number that got too greedy, got burned, and there's in a sense right now after the you know after Luna, after UST and Celsius and so forth, and three hours capital and all these things. And we're not done yet, by the way. I firmly believe there's going to be you know four hours and or whatever it is, right? These numbers going to keep going. Um, but wait, you know, can you allow? Have a bit of a, of a cleansing. What was it? Four hours? Mm. You said or. The numbers of no, I was I was I was trying to make a joke, right? So like we had three hours capital, and there's got to be a sequel to that, right? There's got to ah. be like a four hour hours capital or whatever five, right? There's got to be more of these same same ones, just just more more of those, because um, we're not we're not done with this yet for sure. Uh, do you do you? But refer- again, I actually think in the long run it's a good thing. When you when you say we're not done with it, do you mean um, like large scale projects failing or specifically CFI crypto projects failing? I think yeah, more specifically, CFI projects, especially the ones that are black boxes. Because I think you know, if you think about this, the one of the things that, at least again, in my personal opinion, that's in common with a bunch of them, right? Celsius, Three Arrows, and even Luna, even Anchor, right? Although this was that was a blockchain, but still, people, users, uh, you know, people who put money in there, did not understand what was actually happening with that money, right? Where it was going, how they were getting, like, where was the twenty percent interest coming from? If you ask, you know, ninety nine percent of of users of Luna, I bet you they would have no idea where it actually came from. They were just liking it while it was there, and that's it, right? And similarly, Celsius and Three Hours Capital and, and other ones. You know, and if you and if you operate like that, um, you obviously there are there are risks that you know your customers are exposed to. There are risks that you're exposed to, and I think eventually, especially within crypto, you will fail. Right? You, you you're going to fail. Uh, and I think there are more there are more companies like that that operate similarly with you know without transparency, without their customers understanding what's going on, and. Uh, yeah, I think as, as you know, we, we haven't seen, you know, again, my, my personal opinion, don't take my word as investment mm-hmm. device or anything like that, but I don't think we've seen Bitcoin bottom out yet. I think it will go down. And as it does, you know, we'll have more margin calls and more of these kind of more centralized black box type entities will fail. But, but actually, I think the, the real important point here is the fact that, well, Bitcoin itself 
price aside, functions just fine, right? Functions perfectly. Uh, it survived, you know, pretty severe volatility. It survived the loss of mining capacity in China a few years ago, right? It survived events that would definitely kill basically any centralized system, right? And but but moreover, right? The DeFi protocols that are really decentralized, right? Compound, Aave, Uniswap—you can name a bunch of them. Uh, you know, again, going through really severe kind of volatility right now. And sure, the rates may be dropping, but the functionality is still there, right? The the they work as intended, essentially. And to me, that's actually proof point that these things will survive um, and, and outlast this, for sure. Mm. If you own crypto and leave it on the exchange where you bought it, like Coinbase, that is a mistake. We've heard the news lately. Exchanges closed, accounts frozen. We're learning the hard way that crypto on exchanges is not really in your control. So what can you do about it? Well, you can get a crypto wallet and control the crypto yourself. And that's why today's show is sponsored by ZenGo. These guys realize that storing Bitcoin and storing crypto yourself can be difficult. It's risky to keep private keys. They realized this and said there's got to be a better way. So they created a crypto wallet that is fully recoverable. So say goodbye to lost Bitcoins. And the security of this wallet is incredible. It's a hacker's worst nightmare. They use a three-factor authentication, including 3D biometrics, so no one can access your wallet except for you. And Zengo realizes that at different levels of the crypto journey, you have different needs. So they offer 27 support and have real people that are available to contact directly within the app. They have a bunch of different coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tezos, and more, and they have all sorts of NFTs available as well. So now for the first time, you can keep your crypto safe with the same tools that the big guys have used for years. Download Zengo, that's Z-E-N-G-O, and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's $20 back for your first purchase of $200 or more. Use code ATC and check out Zengo. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there. Uh, what, what, what are the, uh, so as a little bit of context, I interviewed Andy from eco where I know you spent a few years Mm -hmm. working prior to starting conduit. Uh, when you started conduit, was there a particular emotional connection to this project or technical insight or, or business logistical insight that you had? Like what was kind of the spark for you to get into this and and also just frame out what conduit is trying to do in the world? Sure. Yeah, maybe I'll actually start with that so that sure. the rest of my answer makes sense, right? And and so I think what, what Conduit is doing, right, given the name, you actually mentioned it, I think, inadvertently before, right? Because yeah, yeah. that is, is exactly what we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to build, we're building this connection between DeFi and the real world, right? So like I was saying, I'm a practical guy, I'm a realist at the end of the day. And I actually believe for crypto to scale, for DeFi in particular to scale, it needs to be more accessible, right? It needs to be... Uh, it needs to be useful to just people, any normal person on the street, you know, without having to get into what's Ethereum, how does a smart contract work, any of this stuff, right? You don't, you shouldn't need to do that. Um, and I think that's 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 what's going to unlock scale. It's not a nice UX, right? It's not like a better better button, right? Better menu. No, it's actually the fact that you can get into it and you can start using it and getting some value without having to go through this really steep learning curve. What's crypto? What's Ethereum? What's this, right? Like this, that's that's crazy. So, 
that's what we're doing in Conduit, right? We're essentially creating this platform where we can go, you know, seamlessly from fiat and we support a bunch of fiat currencies. So US dollar, you know, pesos, Mexican peso, Colombian peso, Argentinian, he is in Brazil, a uh, number of currencies in Africa, like uh, Nigerian Naira, Kenyan Shilling, so forth. We can go from there into stable coins, right? So USDC is our preferred stable coin, but we can support whatever technically. Um, we take care of custody, we take care of key management, and then we are able to deploy this into a bunch of protocols, right? So like permissionless, permissioned, even centralized, right? And it kind of, we can tailor it to our customers' risk appetite and, and desire for exposure with transparency, right? By saying, this is exactly what's happening with your money and this is what you're getting in return, right? And so we're creating this this platform essentially that sits on top of crypto and makes it abstracts away all the complexity we deal with all the pain of like you know gas fees and you know how do i manage my 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 seed uh, phrase and you know all this kind of stuff um and just let people get to the value right um so going back to, to the rest of the question i think you know one one thing that that, that i loved about eco and i still love about eco is the fact that that's that's what eco is doing right and in a specific use case right consumer oriented but if you're using the the eco app uh you can just download from the app store just like any any neobank or you know just like cash app or whatever um you download it from the app store you don't need to know anything special it works exactly like you believe it will right you don't need to learn it you just get more value right you get five percent interest right and by inviting friends whatever Right, there's just like instant, immediate, obvious, practical value that you get without having to like figure out what's you know again what's a stable coin, what's USDC versus USDT, all that kind of stuff. Right, so to me that that was that's and that, that's really important. But um, having spent a bunch of time there uh, myself and now my my co-founder Mike, so Michael Gregson, our CTO, was was also working with me at Ecom. So we both kind of realized that. This is really hard, <laughs> you know. Building building this is really hard, and making it seamless is really difficult. And you know, can we help other companies with other use cases, right? Not not copying anything that that that, that you guys doing, but you know, B two B use cases in in other geographies, and as I was mentioning, Latin America and Africa and all these sort of places. Can we help them get easier access to crypto? Because even for us, and you know, we've been me and Mike, we've been in space for a while, right? I've been in crypto for like five years now or more. Um, even for us, it was difficult to build. Now imagine a company that's trying to do this, you know, from scratch. So we thought, can we build something that would just get them up to speed better and would allow them to create products for their customers, right? So Conduit, we're not B2C, right? So like we're not like eco in that sense. We don't go to directly to consumers, we go to like fintechs, new banks, all kinds of uh, companies. And then they build products for the end users, right? So uh, that's that's what we decided to create, and that's what we're working on today. Yeah, yeah, uh, great answer. What were the things that you weighed <clears throat> on either side when you were debating staying at Eco and building it, building, continuing to build in house versus spinning out this uh, new company? Like, I, you know what, I, I should have probably weighed more things. <laughs> I should have probably spent, but I don't know. I, th- I think to me it was pretty obvious, actually. It, it was kind of intuitive, right? It was essentially, again, like I said, uh, uh, basically a, a pain, a need that we were experiencing, right, for, for a while ourselves. And, and you know, it's not just Eco, right? As I mentioned, I've been in crypto for a while, right? I've been, before Eco, I was a VP of product at Bread Wallet, which is a decentralized you know, mobile wallet got eventually acquired by Coinbase. And we had the same problems over there too, right? And so kind of going through this a whole bunch of times, 
um, and, and building these, you know, consumer facing products, right? And then realizing, well, we're actually spending more time on the back end than we're trying to build like features for the actual user time and time again, right? Not just Eco, but back in Bread Wallet and before that as well, right? So eventually it just clicked, which I, you know, to me, when I, when I kind of thought about this, I was like, "Wow, am I am I slow?" Like, <laughs> it took me a while to, you know, like it took me a while to realize that I keep doing this and it, it keeps being hard. And you know, why can't somebody make it easy, right? So that you know, by that point, it was it was I guess obvious enough. There wasn't that much of a decision process. I was just like, "Yeah, yeah." And do you think of it by analogy? maybe to the neobank world, you have traditional banks that operate heavy logistical, legal, regulatory compliance uh, behind the scenes that no one sees. You just log into your USAA Chase Wells Fargo account. And then there is this wave. So if I'm looking at the distribution or allocation of capital and resources attention from a bank, not a traditional bank, not a lot of it goes to customer UI. Like the vast majority, I'm sure, goes to like capital management, their lending business, regulatory compliance, all this stuff. Neobanks kind of flip the game a bit where they place a a big emphasis on the user experience, uh, marketing, distribution, the kinds of things a typical SaaS or product-led startup would think about to their success because that has been kind of a under invested in part of the user experience. And then they, they back office that to uh, another bank. So a bank will manage the actual accounts. They'll do all of that stuff. And the banks are kind of like the engine room. And I think there's companies out there that basically make it easy to do this as a, as a neobank. Is, does that, is that an apt analogy? Yeah. Yeah. Were you, were very, you, very, very much so. Mm. Very much so. And in fact, look, I've been, I've been in FinTech longer than I've been in crypto, right? So like I've been in FinTech since 2010. Um, so this, and, and, and back then, right, we were trying to build a personal finance app. There was nothing to build on, right? There was like mm-hmm. one, one vendor, one platform called Yodli, and then they're, they're still around, but there wasn't Plaid, there wasn't Marquette, right? There wasn't this, this stack and there wasn't this whole infrastructure sort of layer that exists today. And, and it was hard, right? So like, and it was just, just as hard back then to do that as it is today to do something in crypto, to build something in crypto, right? And that changed over time. And I saw that change, right? Being in the industry and actually being on the banking side, because I spent some time in fintech, then banking, then crypto. And, and I kind of saw like the entire, you know, production of that sausage from, from all sides. And I was like, well, you know, in fintech, after a while, you got stuff like Plaid, you got stuff like Marketa, right? You have a bunch of these, uh, so our software, exactly, software infrastructure plays that now make it super easy for you to build a neobank. And I went over to crypto, and again, it took me a while to realize that, but I realized, well, that doesn't really exist in crypto. You don't have this this entire industry of, you know, companies that are just trying to make, you know, the, the, the infrastructure possible. So then you, like as a, as a neobank or, or a crypto exchange or a crypto wallet or whatever it is, right? So then you can actually go and build UX as opposed to, like, focusing on how this thing how does this thing even work at all right so that's 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 what we're doing right now for crypto hopefully it will bring the same thing to crypto as it did for fintech it, what are some of the key features that that developers would would are looking for on the crypto side uh, like is it uh, exchange the ability to exchange maintain a wallet um, like if you think of them as like from top priority down what are the types of things on the API that that you prioritize. Yeah. 
You know, I'll tell you, there's a lot of basic stuff that, that, that you know, again, as we were building this, we, we didn't even have, right? So you would assume in outside of crypto and just normal sort of engineer world, SaaS or whatever it is, if you want to try out an API, you have a sandbox and you don't need to talk to a salesperson. You don't need to actually sign up, right? Or go through some sort of arduous process. Like, you know, you think about Stripe or something like that, right? So sh- there's an API, documentation's online. You want to try it out, go ahead, right? Play in the sandbox, try to integrate it. And again, that even that kind of stuff that seems very basic and, and you know obvious to me, then for the most part doesn't even exist in crypto, right? We talked to a bunch of vendors like, can we get access to your sandbox? No, we can't. Why not? Well, you know, you have to like KYB and and you have to pay for even even pay for just accessing the sandbox, not even like or doing anything. Like I was like, this this sucks, right? It makes no sense. So like that's that's the base, very base layer is just like the quality of, of the offer, right? So that's that's kind of number one. And then building up on that, obviously, you have things like as a, a you know, I kind of listed. So, you know, can I go from fiat? Uh, to crypto? Can I connect my, my fiat accounts, my users' fiat accounts, right? If I do that, you know, how do I deal with KYC, right? How do I deal with KYB? So know your customer, right? This, these are like compliance rules and, and then monitoring and all this kind of stuff. How do I keep track of their transactions? How do I make sure that I know their balances? I know like which balance belongs to which customer and so forth, right? There's a lot of that kind of stuff um, that, that, that you need to be able to do. And this is that's what we're building. Um, and I think eventually at the top of this pyramid, as you pretty well put it, right? So like at the top of this is like, okay, what's the value of my game? So all of this works. Yeah. Can I, can I give my users access to yield or can I give my business users access to easier borrowing, for example, if they want to like actually borrow, like whatever it is, like what's the value there? Right. Um, and that's again, that's, I think the value in, in DeFi is there. It's just, you need to build up the rest of the pyramid to be able to actually get to it, to access it. Because otherwise it's just, it's too hard. It's too complicated. You can't really work with it, right? As, a, as an engineer. Um, yeah. Hopefully that made sense. Yeah, totally. Do you feel it's a timing thing where just there's not enough projects or not there hasn't been enough time for companies to build out sandboxes and build out some of the, the features that you were looking for previously when you were at Eco? And, and that it, it's kind of a... It's not that these companies want to charge you to use a sandbox or want to make it difficult, but they're just early. Maybe they're like, you know, just hustling hard just to get the basic API set up. They're racing against the clock. Uh, and it's just a new industry in crypto. Is that kind of how you view it or, or more so that companies are missing the, the the target? Like they're just building. No one's actually seeing what they should be building. I think I think it's a it's a combination of a few yeah. things, right? And I think part of it is what you mentioned. A part of it again, we were we were in the in the bull market for the last couple of years in crypto, right? And it was just so it was easy to make money in some sense. And so you kind of didn't have to work hard for it, right? You didn't have to try very hard. People came to you anyway. Right. And if you have just a couple of players in an industry, kind of like we have in crypto, as a customer, as an engineer, you don't really have a ton of choice anyway, right? So they'll come to you. You don't need to spend a ton of time building out your kind of, again, building out the basics because, you know, yeah. Uh, what else are they going to do? Um, and then again, the money was easy, it was flowing. And now I think it's changing where, you know, you do have to work hard to convince engineers to kind of build on your platform. You have to work a lot harder to make sure that people actually want your product. 
Uh, and I, I think it's a good thing, right? Because it forces you to be more thoughtful about it. It forces you to have better value, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day. So that's why I'm like, I think this is this is a good thing. If you focus on uh, building a better experience rather than trying to, you know, incentivize your users with 20% interest. Yeah. Uh, I think overall, in the long term, you probably will succeed, right? It, but again, I'm biased here. Did you take any, uh, did you take any, particular maybe stereotypical crypto approach to this by, by or are you thinking about creating a token DAO decentralizing products or more of the hey let's just C corp cap table raise money standard like try to build products and yeah. services for crypto yeah no we did a, yeah we did uh, we did a standard so again C corp equity raised on equity have a cap table have investors have a board right and um there, there's a couple of reasons for that because we did it. Uh, we did it a little while ago, right? We did actually did it at the end of last year, where you know we, we could have done a token, we could have done anything. But I actually think that that structure, as as much as as, as many faults as it has, and as much as people kind of like to, you know, l- like to to abuse it or whatever. But there is, you know, it's there for for a reason, and it's not perfect. And has a lot of downsides, but does create the system. You know, I have checks and balances, right? Let's say I have investors, I have a board, right? Uh, and, and then I'm obviously the CEO of my own company, right? So there's a structure to it that's been that's existed for a while now, right? And it's kind of proven over time to generally work pretty well, right? Uh, again, not perfect, doesn't work every time. Lots of downsides, but. Uh, you know, if you have a DAO, I think sort of governance is much more difficult. We haven't figured that out yet. We haven't figured out checks and balances. I've, I've seen kind of how DAO treasuries are, ma- are managed in certain cases, and they're not. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. they're, they're not, right? Yeah. So, like, and, and so we just wanted to figure, like, we'll do it. Because I almost feel like you can't innovate everywhere all at once. You know what I mean? Like, if you're trying to build something... Just like focus on innovating there, building something that's that that's great, and don't try to innovate with your like cap table at the same time and or your governance structure at the same time, right? Just like oh, yeah. focus one thing and do it well and and execute there, right? And if you're trying to do everything all at once, you're more likely not going to do a great job everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I would even I would even take that a step further to say specifically to give advice that when you're building a startup, you want to be you, you don't want to be innovative anywhere in your company except for the one thing that you're building that is innovative. So if you have like, to your point, yeah. an innovative cap table, innovative financial structure, innovative way to pay employees, all these things are negative indicators to investors. And, you know, it's like, hey, we started the company in, uh, in Cyprus and then we moved it to Canada and then we split and we have a cap, a umbrella company that owns it. And it's like, all that shit is just risk for an investor. So it's yeah. like straightforward down the pipe for everything, except for the one thing you're doing makes it way easier to raise money. Yeah. And like, and actually I think it makes, even, yes. And even more importantly, right. makes it easier to focus. Right. So like, if you're like, if you're that, we're going to do vote on features. That's what people do. Does that work? Sometimes it does. Most of the time it probably doesn't work all that well. Right. So like, I, again, I think we have, you know, PMs and, and kind of all, all kinds of uh, things in place. Again, not perfect, uh, but it does it does work. I think mm. so. 
to me, to me, what we're, what we've done is is yeah, in a sense, it's a signal that look, we're we're serious about this, right? Um, by the way, there, there's an, there's another thing that I guess I can mention is that you know, um, if you do tokens, right? Maybe as another kind of even even more deeper piece of advice, right? To to somebody that's the thing, considering this now, if you do tokens. There's the sort of implicit expectation of liquidity, or at least there used to be before the market crash, that's going to come very quickly, right? So, like, you need liquidity within two years or whatever. And if you don't get it, you're going to have a lot of pressure. And I think the way that this aligns incentives, you know, between the company and the investors and the employees, it's, it's, not, it's not great, right? Like, when I, was, when I was raising money, I talked to my, you know, potential future investors. It's like, look, we're going to be in this for, like, five years, ten years. We're going to have ups and downs, Right, as, as we're having right now, and you gotta like sign up for the long run, right? And that, and they have right, and it's not they have like uh, their life of fun, and you know when they have considerations in the back end, and some of them said yes, and some of them said no, and that's fine, right? And we went with the ones that said, yeah, we're gonna sign up for the long run, and I think that's that's really important to have the incentives aligned in a way that you know you're if you're building something, you want to be building it for a while, right? It's it's very unlikely gonna like really create something great in two years. Yeah, who 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 is who signs up for the short run in crypto? I feel like if that's somebody's response on investors, it's like you I maybe you just get eliminated by this, you know, the process of evolution on investing, but it would seem like the the short run unless you're in it for quick wins on speculative prices increases. I don't know. I mean, when people that's, are you know, Yeah. I think there, there's no middle in in crypto. I mean, it's, it's very kind of, it's very, it's either really quick, like really short or really long term, right? And there's no middle ground almost like you're not going to do this for like three years because, you know, either you build something that's that's lasting and, and or you just like, yeah, turn around real quick and one. Yeah. Uh, and I, I wanted to do be in the kind of longer game. Yeah. Is there a... Uh, restrictions or to what degree is there restrictions on international expansion if you are integrating with the banks i know you said you have a multitude of different currencies you're operating through uh, africa mm -hmm. south america north america uh, is the expansion of of those either currencies or countries incremental due to some restriction on partnerships or like what is the what is growth country by country look like yeah, it's it's a very it's a pretty cumbersome process. I'm gonna admit, right? It's not it's not an easy process, and there's a bunch of components that go into this. And it, the, the the primary consideration that we have is, is actually regulation, right? So what's what's the regulatory environment like? You know, do we need to get a license? If yes, what does the license look like? You know, how long does it take to obtain it? how maybe expensive it is in terms of fees or whatever, right? And so we kind of look at this and we decide, you know, in certain cases, we actually decided that it's not worth it for us, right? The process is too long, license too expensive, and the market is too small. And many other cases, we said, yeah, like we're going to figure out exactly what we need to do to abide by the local rules and regulation. Uh, and, and that's really step one, right? We need to figure out what's going on within each kind of specific country in regards to crypto legislation. You know, is there any? Sometimes there isn't, right? How is crypto a commodity? Is crypto a currency? Is crypto, what, is, what is it? And what do we need to do to be within those bounds, right? So everything we do is, is, is above board, which is, again, maybe a little bit conservative, but that's what we're trying to do. And so that's step one is for us to figure out what can we do here? 
And for that, we need to, oh, what we learn the hard way, you need to find local experts, right? You can't talk to a firm that sits in, in, in New York or in the sea and say, hey, can you tell me about like laws in Brazil? No, you need to talk to somebody in Brazil. Um, and so that's step two, one. And then step two is how can we, just like you were saying, how can we get from, from local fiat currency into, into a stable coin, right? And so that's generally speaking, again, a local partner in each country um, that, again, plays by the local rules, right? And can give us access, can accept fiat, right? So let's say Brazilian EIs or whatever it is, and, you know, help us convert into USDC or other stable coins. And then, then we kind of take it over from there in most cases. So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty, first time we did this probably took us four months, I think, or longer just to figure out one country. Now we've streamlined this a bit, but it's still a pretty, like, it's a drag, you know what I mean? Like, it's 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 a pretty cumbersome process. Is there any, do you find, <laughs> maybe like asking almost probably the same thought process you had, is there any company that aggregates this data or centralizes the contact points or somehow makes it easy? Because I'm sure there's just so many people that are creating products that want to expand into different countries and are faced with the problem of yeah. how do you how do you decipher what countries to go into what are the contact points to go into and then all the questions around licensure i don't think there is one for crypto specifically i think there is actually uh i think i'm trying to remember the name there is one for SaaS. Mm. i think out of out of the uk and i think it's called paddle i believe Mm. Um, sorry if I butchered the name. And th- there may be a couple of these, like for for how to not just localize your SaaS application, but actually make sure it works with local payment methods. You know, you know, Stripe in the US or whatever, some up in Europe, whatever it is, like all this kind of stuff. Yes, for more traditional plays, yeah. For crypto, not really, right? Not not really. And I think the biggest difficulty there is that things keep changing in crypto right so like when we went live in brazil i think december of last year january this year you know there was a situation was you know like that and now there's legislation in the parliament there to you know change the crypto regulation and so within you know six months or 12 months it's actually going to be pretty different right and it's 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 everywhere same thing in the u.s by the way right same thing in every country so it's really hard to keep track of you, and I don't think you can really automate that, right? It, it's still for us, at least. If somebody's out there, just just contact me. I'll pay you <laughs> whatever. You <want. laughs> yeah. Uh, you know? yeah. But, but yeah, for now, it's, it's all bad, y'all. Well, it would seem like what, what, whatever you're doing there, when you're researching the government pages, you know, talking to lawyers, you're, you're probably doing duplicate work from what other companies are doing. So it's like you know, a bunch of crypto companies are trying to figure out what the landscape is like in Argentina and Brazil. Uh, all over Europe, and and it just, yeah, I, I it's interesting because it, it seems like even though it it's like especially because crypto is changing fast, uh, it, it, something should exist that allows companies like yours to have a more transparent access to the changing nature. And yeah, it's not automated; like it's a maybe a combination of software, but it's like it's really people who are interpreting the rules and and kind of creating like here's here's what's going on. Here's what you should be aware of. And maybe, I mean, maybe this is kind of like just ideating on the product or like a potential here is there can be a uh, an alliance or a, 
a collective effort of crypto companies to influence uh, law in different countries for the better. Because if it's only the banks in Brazil that are getting together and lobbying governments, and there's no kind of like organized crypto advocacy going on, then, you know, we, we kind of can see where that would might go. So yeah, it would seem, yeah, it seem helpful. There's certainly no, it, yeah, lack of a desire to do it. It'd that. be nice, right? That's like an, an industry association type thing, right? Or whatever you call it. It's essentially, you know, a group of companies and that, that exists by the way in, in, in plenty of industries, right? So from agriculture, right? You have like the association of like peanut growers in the US. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a real thing. Or you know, or in banking or in finance, right? And 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 a bunch of different industries you have that. I think crypto is so new it kinda didn't didn't materialize yet, right? I don't think anybody's really uh, put tried to put it together. I think if it does exist it'd be great because one of the big things I always say about regulation, it's not a bad thing in itself. The bad thing is if you if you do it stupid, right? Mm-hmm. If if the regulation is smart, it's fine, right? That if and if it makes sense and if it actually helps people and helps companies, uh, that's not a bad thing, right? I'm not one of those people who's like nothing, you know, you can't read. No, no, no. Like it's I'm not against the regulation. I just don't think that right now in a lot of these places, and we kind of have a pretty broad view, right? Because we look in a bunch of countries. A lot of the time, people think, you know, crypto is like one thing. You know, it's like a monolithic sort of a thing. And you can say, I'm going to regulate all of crypto and I'm going to make it all, you know, whatever, right? The security or whatever it is. And like, no, that's not actually how it works, right? Crypto is is a category of things. And there are many different things within that category. And they're very different, right? The stable coin, not the same as Bitcoin, not the same as a smart contract, not the same as an NFT, right? And these things are very different. They work in different ways. And if you want to like put some rules around it, sure. But take into account that like, you know, an NFT is not the same as a Bitcoin. They don't work the same way. People don't use them for the same thing, right? So kind of as long as you're mindful, and I think that's going back to, to the point, (laughs) which is, you know, if there was actually some sort of like association or whatever you call it or a lobby or whatever that can actually explain these things, right? And and say, okay, here's how it works. That would be super helpful, but it doesn't, Hmm. I think the closest thing to to that that I can remember is Armstrong, you know, going on Twitter and and talking about the SEC. Yeah. (laughs) That was like, that was it. Like that, that was the closest thing. Yeah. Which is, it was probably a signal that the the industry needs something more substantial because while one person's voice is credible, if you're running Coinbase, it's also uh, not sustainable. You know, you can't expect either Brian individually or even just leaders of companies because, you know, you're taking a serious risk by putting yourself out there alone because everyone else in crypto could just back away if they, if the SEC came hard at Coinbase, you know, it's like, unless there's any incentive to stick together and have like a, a collective effort or opinion on things, then people get, you know, attacked. Um, no, interesting. How do you feel about the more, um, uh, recent regulations on, this is something I've personally gone back and forth with, with sanctions. So banning different countries, the U S bans, countries like Iran uh, that we have issues with, um, certainly Russia because of the war, uh, not just the U.S., this is many Western countries. It, do, do you have a, a, do you align with the way that the governments in Western countries have taken a strong stance on uh, sanctions? The caveat being, of course, it seems to be 
at least partially effective, but also very destructive to the people. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't just launch yeah. a bomb in the middle of a city uh, if you're going to go after a country. You try to hit military bases strategically, and this to me seems uh, more or less like destructive to the to the people of the countries as opposed to the military in particular. Yeah, I think that's that's it's pretty similar to the view I have, and I, you know, I should say that. Uh, obviously, Russia case in point, right? So again, I was born in Kharkiv. This is on the Ukrainian side. This is one of the cities that's being sort of bombed and attacked right now by Russia, and and Russia is doing terrible, terrible things. And there should be consequences to that on on a state level, maybe on the politician level, right? So like Putin personally, for example, sure. Oh, you know, do sanctions work? To some extent, they do. To some extent, they end up hurting the people more, right? I actually still think in the beginning we were talking about this, right? Why do people are flocking to crypto, especially, you know, again, Ukraine and Russia, both actually, right? Both individuals, right? They Because they partially because of sanctions on the Russian side, partially because they don't trust the government and so forth. So I think, again, kind of similarly, sanctions can be applied sort of in a blanket way that doesn't actually, you know, are they... Working on Putin right now? No, just like bluntly, no, right? So like, clearly, it's not working. The war is still continuing, right? His ability to bomb Ukrainian cities has not diminished mm-hmm. in any meaningful way because of any sanctions. Uh, but the quality of life of people actually does go down, right? And it does have an impact. And so I, I guess the idea is, right? If a lot of people individually suffer, maybe they will sort of like mm-hmm. rise up and, and you know replace their own government, whatever. Yeah, maybe that will happen, but maybe you know that there's not a lot of precedent to that historically, honestly, right? Yeah. So, um, cer- I don't cer- think cer- it's, it's the most certainly not a lot of precedent for that being a positive, sustainable change. Walmart was recently named one of LinkedIn's top companies to grow a career in 2022. About 75% of management started as hourly associates, and over 135,000 associates were promoted last year. At Walmart, there's a path for everyone. Learn more at walmart.com slash spark. That's walmart.com slash spark. Yeah, exactly, right? So, like, that's that's the other side of it. And so, yeah, I'm not sure. But by the way, obviously, the, the next question that kind of begs itself is like, okay, what's a better way? Yeah, I mean, and I'm not sure what is a better way, right? Just go toward directly with Russia. That's probably not, good, not a good idea, right? They have nukes. So, um but I think what we're doing right now does not seem to be super effective in, you know, uh, containing, you know, Russian aggression, mm. right? Mm. How about outside of Russia's situation, uh, maybe drawing a line around like crypto, international government regulations, um, or if anything else comes to mind, we were chatting pre-show about your views on the world or if, if there's opinions that you wanted to throw out there um just an open-ended question are there are there areas that you feel that you've investigated recently or feel like you have a unique insight to or interest in i don't know about unique insight it's hard to say but um i guess i can just read it overall i'm i'm still even with everything that's going on today i'm still pretty positive i think about the future because Kind of like the stock market in some sense, right? If you look at it, you know, daily or monthly, you s- there's a lot of volatility. Things are going up and down. But you look at it over decades or maybe hundreds of years. And if you look at the world the same way, you know, 
I think we, we live a better life than people used to live like 200 years ago, 300 or 1,000 years ago, whatever, right? We probably live a better life than anyone ever in history so far, right? And you can point to, ter- again, terrible things that are happening, whether Ukraine now, World War II, or, you know, there, there are spikes, right? But just overall, most of humanity, I think, is better off today. And I think that's that's the weird thing, because I feel like um, you're kind of referring to that. I, think, I feel like we make a lot of mistakes all the time as individuals and probably even more so as governments, right? We, we, we tend to screw up a lot, but somehow on the balance of it, eventually, not 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 quickly and not not after we've tried everything else, but eventually somehow progress still happens, right? And we're still better off uh, overall today. And I think that's, that's kind of, it's a motivation to me because otherwise, like, you know, if you believe everything is doom and gloom, like what are you going to do with yourself, right? So I, I still think there's, there's a path to a better future. Uh, and I think it will happen despite almost a spot of us. Mm. You know I mean, like somehow we humans kind of, st- you no, know, we still manage, right? Like we're still, we're still here. We're, we're doing again, not great, but better than we used to. So somehow we manage. And I think that's, yeah, not a unique insight probably, but yeah, yeah. I, I think I believe in that. I, I agree with you. I, I think it'll, I, I think when we, when we start to really like, cause we're kind of dealing with problems of utopia, you know, you have a house, we have food, we have, uh, access to just about everything you need to live. And now it's like you're solving higher level problems. Like if you think about the problem that you're solving in the world, if you actually think you used to go out and you used to spend your time, and this is all of our ancestors used to go out and food. It's like, I'm a farmer, I'm growing livestock. Uh, maybe I'm working in the police or military to protect people, but there's only a handful of things. Now you're building like a layer of abstraction in this new crypto land to allow companies to build on top of you. The levels of like abstraction that you would have to like, imagine explaining this, what you're building to your great, great, great grandfather. And, and it, it just, it's like how, how many layers of stories you'd have to tell to even get to the point of being able to explain what you're doing. Like, okay, then there's these things called computers. What the hell is a computer? Oh, right. it's uh, <laughs> the internet and then crypto. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I, I, so I, I mean, I think about that and I think about the, the patterns there that are repeating and where things go in the most broad sense. Um, and I just, I, I feel like somehow connecting to, uh, through a better organization of the human species, like connecting to other where there's other conscious life forms on other planets. Um, but I feel like if there's anything I'm, I'm getting to in this ramble is that people today seem to be lacking a North star as a society, like uh, mm. the, the number of yeah. people who are religiously identified 50 years ago, I think was like eight out of 10 today. It's like seven, eight out of 10 are not religiously affiliated. Um, it's the, it, the largest group of people under 30, and, and I kind of think that it's, it's because of this. It's because we don't have any obvious immediate problems that are calling us to become united under this belief system or this purpose. It's like, we're all just fucking gaming, building NFTs, doing different shit. And it's not necessarily a problem, but it, it does seem to, I don't know. I, I agree with you. No, I think that's that's right, right? It's essentially because when you're used to like our entire sort of evolutionary process, m- millions of years, right? You know, focused on essentially survival and ensuring that you don't go hungry, right? And, and 
And now you don't have these huge, again, some parts of the world you still do, but for most people, in most places, right, you don't. And so when you, especially here in the U.S. and just in, in Europe and West in general, and so then you're like, what am I going <laughs> to do with myself, right? So like the NFTs or whatever, they're great, you know, <laughs> but it's not, yeah, it's not, it's not a North Star. So I feel like people start inventing problems, mm. right? I'm sure you, you've seen lately, right? You kind of still you come up with, I'm going to, I'm going to try to fix this or that. And sure, right. There's something to fix, but is it like a higher purpose? No, but there isn't one. So, you know, just come up with like issues to uh, to attach yourself to that, mm. you know, maybe inflate in importance. Yeah. Um, I don't, again, this yeah. is the same thing as, as the last one. I don't have a better answer yeah. here, honestly. Yeah. I, I do see it. Um, what do you think are the know. biggest problems? That, I, I, what do you think are the biggest problems facing the human species today? I, uh, you know, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm with, with, with Musk in that sense, right? I think we need to go to space. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, if, if there's anything that can sort of unite, not, not everyone, all right? Cause again, not even everyone believes we should be even trying, but just in terms of like the biggest problem, I think we have the capability, right? We have, uh, but we don't have as much desire to, right? And I, I think what, you know, SpaceX is doing is, going to be eventually a huge benefit to humanity overall in the long run and then there needs to be way more of that and that's like that's that's something that uh i'm actually a big believer in right so like go to space and not we shouldn't obviously pollute earth to death or whatever that's not the point right but the point is for us to expand right for us to keep surviving we need to we need to go elsewhere we need to be able to go elsewhere and then there's so many benefits that come as essentially side of almost like side effects right of, of space travel new technologies that you have to develop that then become you know um sort of find their way into into consumers or, or other applications right there's so much new ground um that it's just I, I honestly believe it's it's beneficial to everyone so that's probably the biggest problem mm. And, you know, crypto is somewhere there, maybe in the top, you know, three. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, number one is probably not not crypto. Yeah. Yeah, I almost view crypto is like the medicine for the problems in, in some way. Maybe maybe there's a better way to uh, d- distribute resources from f- local farmers. And maybe crypto provides a better way to uh, for agricultural firms to, to innovate the way that they harvest or distribute uh, food. And maybe that impacts biodiversity because the, the, the rate at which we're destroying the ocean and the rainforests seem to be the biggest impact to climate change and present existential risk. So I view crypto as like somebody could look at the tool set that maybe you're building or other people are building crypto and saying, okay, we're going to combine these blocks together. And then we're going to remix the way that like food, the food supply chain works in some way. And th- that, that's kind of how I view it. Like we invented crypto, you know, pe- human beings came up with it. So it's not a problem in and of itself. It's, it's tools to, to, you know, solve problems and invent new problems. I'm sure there'll be new problems along the way. Sure. Yeah. And there are today, but I do agree with you. It's, it is, it's essentially, it's a because we came up with a financial system that, uh, that's, that's not, not great, right? It doesn't work for everyone. It's, it's not sort of equitable. It's not distributed in a fair way people don't have access to it and that's kind of fundamental i think to the way it's it's been built right so i don't think you can 
you know, fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think crypto is a good good answer to that, and essentially an opportunity to do it better in a in a again in a more open way, in a more transparent way, in a way that you know builds equality, in a way that that allows people, you know, a business from Africa can actually access resources, you know, that otherwise they wouldn't be able to. So, like all these things are are really important, and crypto does allow that. And uh, yeah, I think it's 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 a uh, it's kind of a it's a it's a fix to to an ailment that we've also created ourselves and over time developed into something that's the link is so generally speaking unhealthy. Um, and I'm not sure if crypto will completely replace it, but I think it will definitely help. Mm. Right? I think it it can open new possibilities, and and I think it does help. Mm. Uh, so I'm I'm positive on crypto. Right? Yeah, For clearly. Sure. Uh, given what you're working on, are, are there any? Uh, Either books that you've read or people or projects you wanted to shout out as being ones that have been particularly influential in your thinking or learning? You know, so there's a few. It's it's interesting because I think there's there's a bunch of sort of uh, business books that they're obviously, I think, super helpful. You know, you can think of Andy Grove, you know, how I put management and only the paranoid survive and a bunch of stuff that's super helpful. But I actually think people talk too much about these things, right? Kind of publicly on social or on the podcast or whatever, right? And I think people don't talk enough about things that, you know, like what inspires your imagination, right? So I don't know if you can tell, but I've been a huge fan of like sci-fi since I was a kid, you know, and I was growing up and I read, you know, like Isaac Asimov and and, and Dune, you know, and all this kind of stuff, uh, Heinlein. Um, and I think it's super inspiring. And I actually caught myself that I realized for years, I haven't, uh, I haven't read like you know a science fiction book because I've been focusing on like business and and then that kind of thing, technical you know stuff, um, and so I I I think it's I encourage people to put away maybe the business self help book for a moment there and actually go back to something that that's not directly attached to your day to day and I think it's actually healthy, it's inspiring. You know, I, I've been rereading the works of Roger Zelazny, like an American sci-fi author, um, unrelated to crypto, yeah. right? Unrelated to business, but I just like him. So I think people should do that. Mm. I like that. I, I read uh, recently The Three-Body Problem, which is a sci-fi book. Yeah. Really good. Yeah, I like I, I totally agree with you. I think the, just elaborating on that slightly, I think the expansion of your creativity, uh, if you put it in terms of a, like a purpose or a reason for doing it, which I even somewhat resent doing uh, because in and of itself, it's like the purpose is, is the adventure. Uh, but it also seems to be more, you, you, you find, I find more creativity in my day-to-day life after reading these books and going down these like wormholes, because it's just like, you can see things differently. It breaks up patterns in your day-to-day life. And, you know, maybe from a business sense, if that's someone's true motivation, like there's there's a there's an upside to it. Yeah, I mean, you know, people talk a lot about like mental health these days, which yeah. is a real thing and it's really important. And people talk about, you know, taking a day off or whatever for and that's again, it's important. But like look, if you just what if you what you're doing is you're like you know, changing your location from your home office or a real office and you're going to the beach and then you're scrolling through Instagram there. <laughs> like, it's not actually, you're not helping. You're, you know what I mean? Like, it's not just about changing where you, you know, you, where you put, you know, you know, where you plant your ass, right? It's also like there needs to be some sort of like mental escape almost, right? Or kind of, men, you know, men, mental distraction, right? 
And I think books are great shows and whatever, right? So there's many ways to do it. But yeah, I mean, I think people don't give enough importance to the fact that you need to disconnect mentally. And, and a book is a great way to, to do that yeah. uh, and put down your damn phone, you know? I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, well, your Twitter is... Uh, first name Kirill underscore Gertman. Uh, we'll have all the links to conduit in the, in the show notes. Uh, is there anywhere else that you are writing or making content or are you, uh, sure. Um, you can find me on actually most of my kind of writing, if you can call it that is on LinkedIn these days for some reason. Um, so you can find me there. That's my name, right? Kirill Gertman. Awesome. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Dude, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for hopping on, man. Congrats on all the progress. I, I wish you guys awesome. the best. No, thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, Kirill. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.